0: How when that started, y'all were like, "Wait, what? Are we supposed to laugh? Is this funny?" That was actually a children's ministry. I couldn't find a student ministry version of it, but so I, I hijacked a children's ministry version. But um, if you don't know me, my name is Chris Genders. I'm the student pastor for the church, and so I work with middle school through college uh, students. And um, don't get the chance to preach very often anymore. We got a pretty busy schedule, but uh, when I do, I'm just going to hijack the stage for a quick second and let you know. Bill was talking about class 10121301. That, uh, you know, as you, you discover, you know, maybe how God has wired you and shaped you and places you want to serve, student ministry, don't tell the other people, but student ministry is the best, okay? Like, I understand, like, Dan's back there saying, no, 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 he'll tell you next week children's ministry is the best, and he's going to go on with stories about how you can change children's lives. It's not about children, it's about students, right? That's all, I'm just kidding. Every ministry in the church is phenomenal, but I, I, I got to give, an, I got to get a plug in here. We are always looking for people Um, from like college age, 18 and on, um, who love students, who love Jesus. Um, We have a lot of things that we do. Um, Every week in student ministry is kind of different. For example, this past week, we had um, Wednesday morning, we had Bible studies on campus at Metamore Grade School in Germantown Hills. We had adults that were chaperoning that. Wednesday night we had our breakaway program which is our, our weekly Wednesday night program and we had 136 middle schoolers here um, and then we had our coffee house afterwards which is for high school students and that's like a, a conversational theology conversation that we do for an hour from 8:30 30 9 on Wednesday nights and Friday night we partnered with Youth for Christ with Josh Frederick and Friday night we hosted a dodgeball tournament at the high school um, after the the varsity basketball game and and senior night and all that and We honestly, it was free. We didn't know. We were playing dodgeball. We had a cash prize for the award, and we had pizza, and we should have known a lot of students were come, um, but we just didn't know how many, and so all of a sudden, after the basketball game, this wave of students are coming down the hall towards the gym, and uh, we ended up having 128 students that played dodgeball, and about another 100 that sat in the stands and watched, and it was just a phenomenal night, and Over the course of the week, you know, we have adults that volunteer and serve in that capacity. And uh, not all of our adults that are involved in student ministry served this week. Some just weren't called upon. They were in high school ministry on another event, and some were sick or traveling. But I did the breakdown, and just so you know, I did the breakdown. This this past week, we had a 25 to one student to leader ratio in our student ministry. Worked with over 400 students this week, and we had 25 to one ratio. It's supposed to be five to one, by the way. Um, So we love people who love Jesus and students. And uh, if you would like to get plugged into student ministry, um, we have all sorts of different roles from, you know, uh, helping chaperone big events to, you know, serving food, um, leading small groups, teaching, um, anything and everything. And we would love to, I would love to talk to you. Probably not this morning because it's a little focused on preaching this morning, but, um, you know, call me up this week, uh, hit me up next Sunday, I'll be here, and uh, just let me know if if you're one of those people. I don't look for warm bodies, Um, I don't want people just because I gotta have adults, Um, you gotta have the right people, otherwise you don't last. Um, I've actually turned away people, I've had people that, that have come on and said, hey, I wanna do this thing, and then they discover what it is, and they're like, I don't wanna do this thing anymore, and they're like, okay, great, let me go help you find someplace else to serve, like, I'm totally cool with that. Um, but the adults that we have plugged in, I want you guys to lo- who really, really just want to pour into the lives of students. And so if that's you, I would love to talk to you about that. <clears throat> Enough. Let's move on with why I'm supposed to be here. Um, we're in this series called Scripture Alive that, that Bill has started, and um, he's been teaching up to this point, uh, basing it off of a trip that he and his wife Vicki took to Israel last fall. Uh, Dan Baker, our children's pastor, who's back there in the back, um, he's going to be teaching next Sunday. You actually, how long were you over in Israel? Two weeks. Two weeks? Okay. You have an uncle who's a missionary. Right. Okay, that's what I was thinking. I was thinking you were there longer than that. So you went over to visit your uncle and toured Israel as well. And, and so I had the opportunity in 2010. Dan uh, went before, and so we're going to take this week and next week, and then Bill's going to come back, and he's going to lead us right into Easter and finish out Scripture live um, with Easter uh, Sunday. But you know, I, I had this opportunity. Honestly, I <clears throat> I never thought I would go to Israel. It wasn't even on my radar of things, even to the pastor. I was like, okay, it's the holy land, but I thought that's something you do like when you retire and you don't have a, a job and you don't have kids to take care of and you got all this time and energy. And I'm not saying old people go, I'm not saying that, um, but I'm just, it wasn't something I ever thought about doing. Like even when I retired, I'm like, do I really even, like what's the point in going? And then we had this family in the church um, at that time, back in 2010, <clears throat> and they had gone to Israel. and It was like their third trip, I think, and and they'd come back, and, and I, was, I was kind of fascinated by the pictures. And I'm a Bible geek, but let's be honest, this section in the back um, called the maps, right, you can pretty much crinkle my pages. Like, like they haven't been turned very often prior to my trip to Israel. I was just like, oh, cool, we got pictures to go with our Bible, but I didn't really understand it. I didn't, even going to seminary, and, and they were talking about you got to understand context. Context is king. You got to understand the culture of the day. And, and they even talked about geography in, in seminary. But I'm like, yeah, okay, geography, whatever, big deal. But when, when all of a sudden you go over there, and I had this opportunity, this family went, and, and uh, I, I, I took him out for breakfast. I said, man, tell me about this trip. And he goes, no, I'm not going to tell you. I'm like, jerk? I'm like, what? What do you mean you're not going to tell me? That's like the whole reason we're having breakfast at 6 a.m. in the morning. And he's like, you got to go yourself. And I'm like, okay, right. Like, that's ever going to happen. I'm like, just tell me about, Bre- tell me about Israel. And um, he says, well, would you want to go? I'm like, well, I don't know. Maybe. Sure. I mean, it's expensive. He goes, well, what if, what if I paid for you? And I'm like, excuse me? And he ended up putting uh, quite a bit of money towards my trip. I had a, a scholarship through the organization that we went as well. And, and so I ended up paying just $1,000 out of pocket for 16 days in Israel, um, hiking, adventure, um, tra- staying in, in uh, um, four-star, five-star hotels all over Israel and Jordan. Phenomenal experience. If you ever get a chance to go, um, there's a reason I think we're doing this series because Bill has discovered it, Dan's been there, I've been there. I think Nate's obviously next um, as far as our pastors to get to go. Um, but our trip was a little different than Bill's trip. like Bill and Vicky, they had a phenomenal experience, and they went to some of the pl- same places I did, and they went to some places I didn't go to, and I went to some places that they didn't go to. And, um, but they had a little bit different experience. They're, they would take the charter bus, and they would, would drive the charter bus to the top of the bus, and they'd get out, and they'd talk for 45 minutes to an hour, or however long, and get back on the charter bus and drive down the mountain. Ours was a little bit more of a, what they called a challenge trip. Um, I, went, I was one of the old guys on the trip. I went with a group of college students, about 25 college students from Bethel College. And they had this, this opportunity to go. And, and they said, Chris, just make sure you're fit, you're ready, that you can keep up with all these young college guys because we're going to be hiking um, anywhere from 8 to 10 to 12 hours a day um, in desert, mountains, all this stuff. We're going to do teaching on the sides of the mountains and deserts. And um, it's just going to be really cool. And so, so we, we would. I mean, we would, <laughs> we would get on the charter bus and, and uh, we'd have on our hiking clothes and backpacks and we'd get to our destination and the guide would say, okay, everybody needs two bottles of water. And we'd throw two bottles of water in with our snacks and our Bibles in the backpack, and, and we go hike. And, and honestly, we didn't know where we were going. Our guide for 16 days never gave us a schedule. And that was intentional. He didn't want us to know. And, and for a control freak, that was really hard the first couple days. Like, just tell me where we're going and what we're... I want to read ahead. I want to read stuff. I want to look for be prepared for it. He's like, just trust, Chris. Just trust. Trust your rabbi. And that was an important lesson for me, just to trust my rabbi. You know, as we went and but it was phenomenal. So we, he's got two water bottles, and, and we go hiking, and we sit down on the side of a mountain, and, and, you know, after hiking up the mountain and talk on the top and then hike back down the mountain, and we go someplace else, and he'd say, okay, you know, grab four water bottles. We're like, oh, we're going to be out here a while. And you look out, and there's, like, nothing. It was just, like, open desert and rock. And you're like, okay. And we got used to this idea that when we were rolling along, we just all started looking for the biggest mountain and knew we were going to hike that. Like, he would just pull up to the stop at the, the bottom of the mountain, and he'd say, all right, grab six water bottles. Oh, no, what are we doing? And uh, you'd hike up this mountain. It was, it, it was phenomenal. And I, I've got some pictures here uh, for my trip. And uh, what was interesting about it, as I said before, I'm, context is king, but honestly, when I studied scripture, even in seminary, and then Farley's used years as a pastor, like, I never really paid much attention to geography. I never paid much attention to, to uh, kind of the, the space and, and, and stuff. I paid attention to time and culture, but not space, not geography, not physically what they would be walking on, what they would be experiencing. And, and so then to go, all of a sudden go to Israel and to be reading the Bible and go, hey, by the way, what you're reading took place right here was absolutely incredible absolutely incredible. And so this is, uh, this is on day one. We flew 13 hours um, to Amman, Jordan, and uh, got on the bus, drove to the bottom of the mountain. <laughs> he said, all right, grab a couple water bottles, let's go. And um We hiked up, and this ended up being Mount Nebo, uh, which is where Moses in the Old Testament, God takes him up and shows him the promised land. Back in the distance, you can't really see it. It's hazy. It's pretty far away. Uh, It's kind of green back there. It's hard to tell. But that's the promised land that the nation of Israel was promised. And Moses was given a glimpse of it by God, but because he had not obeyed God, he wasn't going to be allowed to go there. And so we we hiked up to the top of this part. Uh, Next picture. This is a, a place called Moctesh Ramon. Um, we uh, this is Machtech is literally crater and so it's kind of a mini Grand Canyon. Um, we got to the top of this and you couldn't really see anything. It was just like open land, like you couldn't see the drop off, you couldn't see the crater, anything like that. We were pretty far away from the edge, and, and he's like, "Okay, grab five water bottles." We're like, "Oh no, what are we doing?" And uh, we got to the edge of this this canyon, and you're like. And we had this four or five hour hike down along this, had a teaching on the side of the the cliffs there. Um, Honestly, I've kind of forgot what relevance that is in scripture, but it's a cool hike. Um, So next picture, I'm I'm sorry, I'll dig that up. I'm sure there's a reason we went there. Um, This is the Mediterranean Sea on the left. Uh, This is actually just yards away from where the Apostle Paul was held under house arrest. Uh, before he was transported to Rome. Remember in, in Acts, he appealed to Caesar and said, I want to go see Caesar in Rome. And, uh, and Herod had him in a, a, a kind of a fortress, a house arrest here. Um, and so this is just yards away from, from where uh, the Apostle Paul was imprisoned. On the right is Mount Tabor. Um, I believe that's the name of it. This is on the uh, north uh, west side of the Sea of Galilee. Um, and it was it an was incredible hike up. Actually, at one point, you had to climb Iron Rungs. Um, up the cliff face, and it was safe, we weren't going to fall, but um, anybody know the name Ray Vanderland, the, the DVD series that the world may know? Like we're, we're hanging out because it's single file, right? I'm looking at the, anybody over here nod their head? Otherwise I'm going to look right here. Um, we're, we're, we're standing there waiting, right, because it's single file up these, these iron rungs, and another group, I mean there's groups everywhere, another group came up behind us and somebody, one of the, the people in my group, is like, it's RVL, it's RVL. And I'm like, who's RVL? I don't know. And they're like, Ray Van. I'm like, well, why didn't you say Ray Vanderland? I know that. And, uh, but it's this guy that produced these, these videos where he teaches in Israel and all these biblical places. And, and so if, if going to Israel just isn't your thing, get these DVDs, watch this. This will help you understand culture and context um, of scripture. Phenomenal teacher um, and resources. And uh, actually on this hike, um, our, our guide, One of his key words for our whole experience was the Hebrew word yada, which means literally to know. And it's a very intimate word. It's the knowledge of a husband and wife, if you get what I'm saying. And he said, we're going to yada Israel. You're going to get to know Israel. And so halfway up this trail, uh, he had to stop and take our shoes on, socks off, and and hike a little bit barefoot so we could feel the rocks and the, the dirt and the soil that we were on. Another picture. This is in uh, the Springs of Engedi. This is Todd Shire on the left. He's a member of Great Oaks, still goes here. Uh, He went with me on the trip as well. Um, This is Springs of Engedi. This is uh, one of two oases on the west side of the Dead Sea, um, which you read about oases, right? You hear, you see them in movies, and you're like, yeah, barren desert land, and then all of a sudden, water. And you're like, yeah, it doesn't really happen. It does. Like, just in the middle of the desert, all of a sudden, there's this place with, like, flowing water and greens, and it was this canyon filled with creeks and and streams and plants, and it was absolutely amazing. and David, King David, before he was king, when he was running from Saul, actually went to this, this spring and hid here with his men. And, in fact, in 1 Samuel 24, um, he's hiding in a cave when Saul has his soldiers and they're chasing after him, and Saul has to go to the bathroom. And so he goes into this cave and doesn't know that David and his men are hiding in the cave. And he begins to relieve himself, and he's in there a little while. Uh, and David's men say, hey, this is your chance. God has delivered Saul into your hands. Go up and kill him and take the kingdom from him. And, and David responds, to, I could never raise my hand against the Lord's anointed." And so he goes up and, and cuts off a corner of the robe. Um, and when Saul is done and he leaves, he comes, David comes out of the cave and says, look, Saul, I could have killed you and I chose not to. Um, and Saul kind of repents of chasing after David. That all happened in a cave near this spring in 1 Samuel 24. Uh, The obligatory Jordan River picture, Um, you know, Bill had that, I think a few weeks ago, he talked about the Jordan River, and this is not the site where Jesus got baptized, this is more out in the, uh, farther away from that, Uh, but we all had to go into the Jordan River. And then this is the Sea of Galilee. This is um, actually what we're talking about today, this is the the, the geographic region that Bill has asked me to teach on, and uh, this is a, a body of water where a lot of the New Testament happened. A lot of Jesus' life happened, and so that's what we're going to talk about today. Um, but it was pretty—it was pretty phenomenal to to go and stand on this body on the side of this body of water. We even took a boat uh tour out one night and uh, went out in the middle of the Sea of Galilee and, and sang some worship songs and some prayer time out there in Bible study, and it was just phenomenal experience. Again, so can I say phenomenal too many times? Like I don't really know. Like there's probably better words, but I'm just going to keep saying it over and over because, you see, like like my buddy said that took me out to breakfast and you have to go yourself. It changes how you read this book. Like You come home and this book has a whole, I mean, I've been studying this book for 18, 20 years prior to the time I went to Israel. And it, it revolutionized my Bible study um, after I went to Israel. But let's talk about the Sea of Galilee. Uh, we've got a couple of maps here. The sea of Galilee is the body of water up on the top there. Um, What's interesting about the location of it uh, is it's a freshwater lake. Um, What's interesting about it is that it's a major trade route through Israel. And so the people that lived there interacted with people from numerous different cultures. Um, In fact, down here um, where it says Decapolis, um, that was a a Greek Hellenistic society, uh, very different than the Jews. And when Jesus says, hey, I want you to go into all the world, um, pretty much the whole world came through the Sea of Galilee region. And so they kind of had an idea what Jesus was asking him to do and how challenging and daunting that task was going to be. Uh, there's some, some names of cities that are around the Sea of Galilee that you'll recognize in this next picture. Uh, you see Capernaum, uh, Tiberias, Cain over here, Bethsaida. You see Nazareth over here on, on the bottom left. Um, and Capernaum is actually where Jesus lived as an adult and when he began his ministry. Um, he lived there on the Sea of Galilee and taught a lot there. Um, this is the body of water where Jesus recruited the fishermen who were his followers, Um, you know, Peter and James and John and Simon and those people. um, He he called them from this body of water. Uh, This is the body of water where Jesus uh, walked on water. Uh, I remember reading that in the New Testament when he sent his his followers out in the boat and then he came out to them in the middle of the lake and caught up to them. That's this body of water. And our our core scripture for today comes from a teaching that Jesus did while standing in a boat on the seashore um, of this Sea of Galilee. Um, What's interesting that I didn't realize... About the Sea of Galilee. Now, again, I, I, I don't understand geography. Um, I, don't, I didn't understand spatial type stuff. And so when I read Sea of Galilee for 20 years, reading the Bible, I'm familiar with Lake Michigan, right? It, so when I think sea, I'm thinking Mediterranean. I, I'm thinking some very large body of water. If, if a sea is, is larger than a lake, then surely it's huge. It's not. It's only like 13 miles long and 8 miles wide. Here's a couple pictures that we've got from it. You can literally see the other side of it, which all of a sudden made sense because for a long time, I just kind of disregarded or ignored that Jesus you know, would say, hey, disciples, get in your boat and row across the sea. I'm like, man, he doesn't like these guys. That's a long journey. Like, What's he doing? Well, I mean, it's a challenge, but it's not, it's not impossible. And you would read about, he would get done teaching, and, and the crowds would learn he was teaching on the other side of the lake, and they would walk around the lake, and I'm like, wow, how many days were they hiking? Like, what the world's going on there? And then all of a sudden you see, this is an aerial shot of it, and you realize, like, it's really not that big of a body of water, relatively speaking. Um, but a very important place for Jesus. So if you have your Bibles, turn to, to Luke chapter 8. We're going to be looking at a parable, um, oftentimes called the parable of the sower, uh, sometimes called parable of soils. You can find it in three of the Gospels Matthew, Mark, and Luke. We're going to look at Luke 8 uh, because it's a little simpler. I like some of the wording uh, that they have in there. So if you have your Bibles, go to Luke chapter 8, and we're going to start in verse 4. While a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told this parable A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, Some fell along the path. It was trampled on, and the birds ate it up. Some fell on rock, and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still, other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop, a hundred times more than was sown. And when he said this, he called out, Whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, when you read that, if you're like me, um, and this is the challenge of reading the Bible in, in 2016 in central Illinois. When you read that parable, you think, okay, it's an agrarian society, it's farming. We know farming, right? I grew up in central Illinois, all around, out in the country, and far, surrounded by farmers. Like, I know farming. You've got the field, you've got the tiller, you've got the planter, you've got the combine. Like, everything's organized, like, it's a phenomenal process. And so surely that's, you know, my mind at some point goes there. Um, but obviously in that culture, it was a little bit different um, and so at first glance, I'm like, okay, well, maybe it wasn't quite like our farmers today, but it was like Johnny Appleseed, right? Just kind of wandering through the wilderness, got this bag of seed on his side, and chucking seeds out randomly and hoping something will grow. And that's kind of it, but part of the bigger thing you need to understand is what the type of soil and land that these farmers were working with. We've got a couple pictures here from uh, when Bill and Vicky went to Israel Uh, this is this is a good example so notice that the people hiking are on a path Uh, they're in a a, looks like a grove and there's a a rock wall back there behind those are actually gardens those are terraced gardens so going up a hill we know what that looks like Um, but this down here is like rock uh, the the white part over here and then you got a little bit narrow strip of of good soil where that tree is planted Uh, i think we got a couple more pictures as well here's another picture of the the gardens kind of elevating up and um, there just wasn't a lot of space for farming, and so they had to create space by creating the terraced gardens. And then one more, uh, here's a young man sitting under a tree. And this will give you an idea of, of what we're talking about with the type of soil um, that we're working with. And so they didn't really have great soil everywhere. It wasn't like us. And I discovered that when I went over there. And, and so if you're a farmer, like, you're going to throw seed out, and some of you, yeah, it's going to land on that path, and it's not going to grow anything because I just trampled on. Some of it's going to land on this, this soil that really is like that much soil on a, on a bed of rock and there's nowhere for the roots to grow. Some of it's going to land in a place where thorns and everything's going to grow up and weeds are going to choke it all out. And, and some, hopefully, is going to land in pretty good soil and that's what you harvest at the end of your harvest season. But what's interesting here is Jesus does this is he begins to teach to the crowd using these things called parables. And, and if you've been around scripture, you know these. You know what we're talking about here. It's, it's using a story, an example from today, to explain things about the kingdom. But what's interesting about this is when he's got the larger crowd, all he does is tell the parable. And then he says this strange words in verse nine, um, or, uh, yeah, verse eight. It uh, says, when he said this, he called out, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear the end. And, and even his followers we're like, what? What did Jesus just say? Like, was that, like in the video, was that a gardening lesson? Like, are we supposed to be better farmers now? Surely there's something more with this. But when Jesus is teaching to the larger crowd, that's all he does. He tells the parable. He says, He who has ears, let him hear, his eyes, let him see, all this stuff. And then he walks away. And the disciples are like, whoa, whoa, whoa. There, there's got to be something more to this. And there is. Uh, what's interesting is that this is kind of a shift for Jesus when he's teaching, uh, from being a little more direct with a larger crowd to all of a sudden kind of hiding things in, in these parables. So if you pick up in Luke 8, verse 9, it says his disciples asked him uh, what this parable meant. Jesus, we, we don't get you. Like, you're a great communicator and all, but I thought the point of communication was to be clear and concise and make sure everybody understood what your message was. And nobody understood what you just talked about. So would you mind explaining it to us? And he says, sure. And he goes on, he says, the knowledge of the the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to others I speak in parables so that though seeing, they may not see, though hearing, they may not understand. And if you're a student of the Bible and you're you're honest with yourself, you've got to stop and say, why? Why didn't Jesus want the larger crowd to understand the deeper meaning of this? Why did he reserve the, the maybe secret message of the parable for just his followers? Uh, why didn't he just say, hey, this is what it's all about? We get a, an idea from his reference there in, in, verse t- in verse 10. He actually goes back and he references the prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament uh, when he says, though seeing they may not see, though hearing they may not understand. It's a, a rabbinical teaching method called remez, uh, which literally means hint, And so Jesus is saying, listen, I'm I'm giving you the the, the parable here, but there's a hint here that there's something more. There's a deeper meaning, and you're not getting it anymore. But I'm just going to leave it with you with the hint. And if you go to Isaiah and you look at this passage in Isaiah, here's what the fuller text says. He says, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, this is Isaiah, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And Isaiah said, Here I am, send me. God said, go and tell this people, be ever hearing, but never understanding. And He's talking to the nation of Israel, by the way, God's chosen nation. He says, go and be ever hearing, but never understanding. Be ever seeing, but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people calloused, make their ears dull, and close their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed, and suddenly, I don't understand God. Because God is about love. God is about all. God desires that all men come to a saving knowledge, right? We read in the New Testament. Jesus came to die for all of mankind, and yet here is God saying to a prophet, go to my people, my chosen nation, and tell them I don't want you joining the party. I don't want you healed. I don't want things to go well for you right now. And if you're like me, you go, God, you've got to help me out on this. And Isaiah kind of wonders the same thing. Like he's like, okay, I'll go do that. But surely this is like short-lived, right? Because you're a God of love and all this stuff, compassion. So like what's this for like a timeout for a day? You know, a week maybe? Take the iPod, iPod away, right? I'll ground him for everything. And God, so Isaiah says, how long? And God says, until the cities lie ruined and without an inhabitant, until the houses are left deserted, and the fields ruined and ravaged until the lord has sent everyone far away and the land is utterly forsaken and again i go i don't understand god sometimes but then when you start to look at it in context over and over and over throughout the history of the nation of israel god has sent prophets people who have who have cast the seeds of the word of god into this nation and said, go this way, but not this way. If you do this, you'll do blessed, you'll be blessed. If you do this, you'll be cursed. And over and over and over again, the nation of Israel rejected the prophets to the point of even killing the prophets for daring to speak out the words of God. And, and, and this, this one author on Bible.org, um, I don't know him, but his name's Bob Deffenbaugh, uh, in June of 2004, he wrote these words. The nation of Israel has not received Jesus as their Messiah, Their leaders have rejected him, have determined to put him to death. Jesus began to veil his teaching, focusing more on his disciples and revealing more and more to them about his upcoming rejection and sacrificial death. It signaled a change from speaking of a crown to suffering death on a cross. And just like in the Old Testament, where God kind of reached a point and said, enough's enough, I'm not dealing with this anymore. Jesus is saying to the religious leaders of the day, enough's enough. I'm not dealing with this anymore. I'm going to go and I'm going to share in parables to you, and I'm going to explain everything in detail to my followers, to those who are, are truly trying to become that good soil. It's, it's moments like this, where if I'm honest, as a pastor, we all get there. As pastors, we all get to this point where we're like, come on, come on. Seriously? Maybe it's something like this. message, I mean it when I say to you, you guys, sometimes you're bad. Don't be jerks. You're supposed to be good. I'm in my office every day and somebody comes in and they're like, hey, whoops. Dan is the worst. I took a vow to not say who was the worst, but it's Dan. <laughs> you guys are making me look bad in front of God. <clears throat> What's that? Oh, look, it's Jesus. And He said, stop it. <laughs> the word of the Lord. <laughs> My buddy Dan Haney sent me that a couple weeks ago, and it was right in the midst of, man, I was just banging my head against the wall with some middle school students and some high school students and stuff that was going on in our schools and community and even here at church, and I was just like, come on, and Dan sent me, I couldn't stop laughing. I had to show it to the breakaway students, and so we had 100 plus middle schoolers that I'm just like, stop it! <laughs> All right. I still laugh. Every, I've watched that thing a dozen times. I still laugh every time. Um, let's, let's get back. Let's look at the four types of soil. So Jesus talks about this parable. And he says, okay, there, there's these four types of soil. We've got the path, which is pretty compact, and the birds come down and steal it. We've got the rocky soil, which is, is um, very shallow dirt on top of deep rock. Uh, you've got weeds and thorns that come up, and you've got good soil. And, and so Jesus' friends, his, they come to him and say, okay, what's the deal? Explain this to us. And so he picks up in verse 11. He says, this is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God, and those along the path are the ones who hear, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rock are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. The seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked out by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart, who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. Um, so we've got a picture here of these four hearts. And it's interesting when you look at it and you think about it, like, okay, the, the path over here with the birds. Um, and Jesus is saying these are people who, who just they are not interested at all. Like they, they may hear the word of God, they may hear about Jesus, they may come to church, uh, maybe even, who knows, go to a small group sometime, be in an event, and, and it's just, nothing happens. Like, hey, great, awesome, we had free coffee, hang out with my friends, good. Um, and Jesus even says, hey, there's times where, where Satan comes along and, and plucks that word from their hearts and their minds so that they can't believe. And then you have the rocky soil, and, and I liken this to, to people who want um, only the benefits of being a follower of Jesus but aren't willing to pay the sacrifice. They're not willing to do the discipline it takes to be a follower of Jesus. Uh, maybe it's somebody who, who went to camp or a promise keepers or Hearts at Home or some Women of Faith conference and, and you had this overwhelming emotional comf- experience with God and, and you come back and you're like on fire for Jesus um, and then all of a sudden the stuff of life starts to hit you and you're like, whatever. Uh, the weeds and thorns, these are people who, who we know the cost but we're unwilling to pay. We we want the benefits, but without the discipline. And then the good soil is what I call the, the, they're the people who know the cost and they're willing to pay. They're the ones who, when Jesus says, take up your cross daily and follow me, they understand that means daily sacrifice, daily discipline of of living a life differently because of this book and because of Jesus than the rest of the world. It reminded me of the quote by G.K. Chesterton. He says, Christianity has not been tried and found wanting. It's been found difficult and left untried. As I think about my own life, my own story, you know, I can put myself and go back to the hearts. I can, I can put myself throughout the years, um, in different each one of these different hearts. Uh, you know, I didn't. Many of you know, I didn't grow up in the church. Uh, my family, um, we believed in God as a general thing, but not really. We never practiced any religion. Uh, my parents, when they were young uh, married couple, uh, they'd met some extremely hypocritical Christians, and they said, if that's what Christianity is all about, we don't want any of it. And so they never took us to church. I never went to church with my, my parents um, until after my, I became a Christian. My dad was a Christian as well, and that was in my 20s. Um, and so we never had this. We, we had this, this you know, thing called scouting, and it was our religion, Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts, and we were good at it. And so I got a really good moral upbringing there, but I didn't have a religious background. But we had this family in our community, and my mom actually worked for uh, the, the uh, husband and the father. He owned a mechanic shop, and it was the Vanderhoof family. And uh, they had three boys about my age, uh, roughly, plus or minus a little bit. And what the Vanderhoof family had going for them, I mean, they were strong, um, foundational Christians. I mean, they were just generations of Christians. And, and they loved God, and they loved people. And they displayed it in ways that I had never encountered before. In fact, and I've shared this story in middle school and Breakaway, but uh, when I was in middle school, I stole about $275, $300 from Quincy out of the safe and, at my mom's uh, work. But your mom's the bookkeeper. It's not really the smartest thing to do. I'm just saying. So she comes home, and, and she says, hey, Chris, I need to talk to you. And I knew the gig was up. And she said, you've been stealing money? And I said, yeah. And she said, okay, we got to talk to Quincy. And I went in, and, and man, this is a guy that I respected, I loved, and yet I'd also stolen all this money from him as a middle schooler. And, and, and I went to him, and I had to confess, and he showed me grace and forgiveness. He made me work it off. I had to work for him to earn back all that money that I'd cost him, but he, but he showed me grace. And it was the first time, and all of a sudden, I'm like, there's something different about this guy. And the other thing the Vanderhoofs had going for him was they lived in town. I was poor. They, they, were, they were okay. They weren't wealthy, but they were Okay. Um, But they had air conditioning, I didn't have air conditioning, they had cable TV, Um, they had a Nintendo, like the classic Nintendo, and the best of all, they had the Schwann's delivery guy, and like he was there like twice a week, and they told me to just eat whatever I want anytime I was there, I'm like, okay, it's a growing middle school boy, I'm like, sweet, and so they always invited me over on Saturday night, and I didn't pick up on it until I was in high school, why they did Saturday night, gotta go to church on Sunday morning with them, right? And so for the longest time as a little kid, I'd go spend the night on Saturday night and, and we'd go to church on Sunday morning and honestly, I was that path. I would just sit there and I'm like, all right, this is different. You know, it's kind of weird, but different. You know, not strange completely. Well, that might be strange, but you know, I, whatever. Didn't mean anything to me. And then in middle school and, and in high school, my families were going through a rough time and my parents were going through a divorce and, and I had my license and all my buddies went to the same church. And so we would all go to church together on Sunday morning. We'd hang out, we'd go to Sunday school, and we're talking a 40-person church, by the way. And so a, a group of like eight teenage guys coming in out of 40, we, we kind of overtook the church. And, you know, so we'd come in, and, and we'd have church, and I mean, it was King James and hymns, right? And uh, I remember my Sunday school cl- uh, class, for a high school class, was a book called The Great Doctrines of the Bible. I'm pretty sure they used it in seminary. Um, and we're, I'm just like, whoa, I have no clue what we're talking about. But my buddies were there, and I wanted to be with my buddies, and we'd go on Sunday afternoon, we'd go fishing and, you know, shoot guns and play basketball and do all sorts of stuff you shouldn't do. And, and then we'd come back to church on Sunday night. And then we'd be back on Wednesday night. And I was just going because I was with my guys, right? But all along, what I didn't realize was these seeds of the word of God were being sown and, and planted in this And some of it landed in in places that wasn't going to be fertile, and some started to to sprout a little bit. And when I was in college, I'd gone off to Carbondale. I was a a forestry major. I was going to be a park ranger out in Yosemite or Yellowstone, right? And uh, so I was studying to be a forestry major, and um, I still wasn't a Christian at this point, um, but I was a decent kid. I was a moral kid. And uh, my roommate was a Christian, Dan. He was from back home. He was part of that crew of guys. We went to church together. Well, he had a girlfriend back home, and so he would leave me down in Carbondale often. He had a car. I didn't. And so I was stuck in Carbondale a lot. Well, Friday nights in the dorm on a secular campus like Carbondale, pretty lonely, right? And I didn't drink. I I made it a vow through high school, like, I'm not going to be that guy that drinks in high school. And not because of any religious thing. It was like, it's legal. You know, I'm I'm not 21. I'm not supposed to drink. Well, freshman year, you get pretty lonely. And it wasn't that hard to be tempted to start drinking. And there there were whole weekends that I don't remember anything about those weekends, and my parents had, had gotten divorced. My older brother had moved away, living a life that I wasn't sure I agreed with. My older sister, who I was closest to, had moved to Florida so her husband could get a master's degree from Florida State. My younger sister was back home doing her thing. And I'm away from home and I'm changing who I am and, and I don't like it and I feel this whirlwind all around me, this tornado of chaos. And I just needed something that wouldn't change. Everything in my life was changing. And I needed one thing that wouldn't change. And I remember in the middle of the night one night, it was 3 o'clock in the morning. I'm laying in my bunk. I'm on the bottom bunk. Dan's above me. And, I, and, and I'm just thinking through all this. And one of those seeds that God had, had sown in my heart jumped out to me when I cried out to God. And I said, is there anything that's not going to change? And God directed me. Just mentally, Holy Spirit used it. In Hebrews 13, verse I'd evidently heard in church one of those seven, eight years I'd gone. It says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Chris, the one thing that will never change is me. Put your feet on me, the solid rock, and no matter what life brings your way, you will have solid footing. And I remember I, I, I whispered to Dan, because it's three o'clock in the morning, and he's a follower of Jesus, <clears throat> but he's asleep at three in the morning, and I said, I said, Dan, do you have to have a pastor around to become a Christian? And like that, the light's on, Dan sitting next to me, we both sleep in our underwear, so we're like two college guys sitting next to each other in our underwear with the Bible open on our laps, I'm sobbing like a baby, I'm like, what is going on? like, God is just stirring in my soul, and, and I call up the pastor the next day, I said, hey, I'm coming home next week, and I'm going to get baptized, like, I'm, I'm all in. And so I go home, I get baptized, and, and man, I was that seed, honestly, I didn't realize it, but I was the seed on a on little bit of soil on rock. And I came back to college in Carbondale and I was, I was going solid for a couple weeks and then Dan went away one weekend and I'm by myself in the dorm and all my buddies are going out the door and I go, I don't want to be by myself. And all of a sudden I found myself back out drinking and, and what had grown so quickly in two weeks was out the door. And honestly, it wasn't until I transferred to Eastern Illinois and I got my business degree, I started pursuing a business degree, and um, I, I got plugged into this campus ministry, I'm a huge fan of campus ministries on Secular universities. If you go to a secular university, get plugged into a church or a campus ministry, please. It will, it will allow you to continue to grow in your faith. I say I got a business degree from Eastern. I really got a Bible college degree. Roger Songer, our campus pastor, poured into me for three years, I'm both up on the stage and personally as well, and mentoring me in, in Bible and leadership and teaching and all these things. And A lot of the things that I do now as a pastor, I got an opportunity to do in college in that campus ministry. And it revolutionized my life. I am a completely different person because those that campus ministry was fertile soil for me to grow. And it shaped my heart in ways that that I I never could have imagined before. And some of you know that experience. Some of you have had that experience. You had this moment that we 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 pastors call it the the moment of justification, where you recognize that you were a sinner, that you were in need of a savior. You repented of your sin, and you, you vowed allegiance to Jesus, and you became obedient in baptism. And that's your story, that's your testimony, and, and you've been growing in that. Some of you could, maybe you haven't reached that point, but you could kind of maybe identify where you're at on, in this parable this morning, where you're on this, this journey from, from the path, the hard path, to the good soil. And if we're honest, though, even after we become justified with God, we continue to grow it's this again what we pastors call the process of sanctification it's becoming more and more like Jesus every day and so we we look at our life and we say okay there's parts of my life that I I could look at this diagram and I if I if I had you know little magnets or whatever I could throw up on there I could say man with money I'm here with with possessions I'm here with my relationship with my spouse I'm here with my wife with my kids I'm here with with sexual purity I'm here with my free time I'm here and we could kind of part and parcel in, in each part of our life and, and identify where is that at? Which soil is that seed that word of God landing on? Because the reality is, is we are called to change ourselves when we read the Bible. We don't change the Bible to fit ourselves. And so there's gonna be times where you read stuff in here and you're like, Really? That's what a follower of Jesus does. And depending on the condition of your heart, that seed can be planted in soil that's deep and rich, and God can use it in incredible ways. Or it can land on a path in a hard heart, and you go, yeah, right, and move on to the next one. And, And so I think one of our obligations, our responsibilities as a church is to give you moments for what we call a heart check. Because we always say we're about helping people take their next step towards God. And this morning, maybe the Holy Spirit has said, hey, you know, I'd really love to talk to you about this in your life. Because I've been sowing that seed, and it's kind of getting choked out by thorns and, and weeds. And I really wish you'd weed that garden and let that be some fertile soil. I I've, I've been sowing this, and and man, that's just landing on a hard path and it's not going anywhere and I'd love to talk to you. And hey, I'd love to, to celebrate with you because you're doing awesome in this area. It's landed in rich soil and I love what you're doing and God just wants to celebrate that in your life. So this morning, we're going to give you an opportunity. The band's going to come out and, and sing a song. And, and it's not a song that I want you to sing. It's just a song that I want you to sit and spend time in prayer and listen to the words. Ask God, what is the condition of my heart Uh, what's the soil look like in my heart listen to this song